Welcome back to Let's Get Haunted with your host, Matt Strawn and Allie. Welcome back, guys, to episode 103. Now, before we get into the intro, I just want to say if you're new to our show and don't give a shit about our personal lives, which is perfectly reasonable, then check the show notes right now. And the first thing you see should be a timestamp that will help you skip the intro and go straight to today's story. And we do that with all of our episodes. So if you don't like our intros, right. check the show notes. First sentence, the first thing you see, it's, right. it's going to all caps. All caps. It says skip to, and then imagine a number. I don't know which number it's going to be yet, but yeah. the longer we talk about it, the further away it gets it could be five it could be 10 it could be 15 why are you still listening to this just look in the show notes right now are you driving pull over or crash your car and look and check and then skip (laughs) all right guys haunties it's just us now we're safe we're in a safe space we can talk about anything we want to now for the next five to ten minutes i wanted to say natalia we hit ten thousand followers on insta I know. I'm so excited. Yes, I'm super excited. So if you're not following us on Instagram, go to at Let's Get Haunted. That's where we do the photo dump for every single episode. And we also repost your fan art and we repost the funny LGH memes that you guys make. Yeah. I wanted to shout out Zeke Gons 89 on Twitter and Instagram because he's been making some fire LGH memes that we've been reposting to our Insta lately. Thank you for the free content. Fire. Dude, you want to hear something fucking haunted? Yes. Last night, I have no fucking idea why. I ended up spending at least two hours in the dark on my phone looking up photos of the electric chair, reading accounts of the electric chair. Natalia, why? I read this fucking account. It was so creepy by this lawyer in Tennessee who served as the lawyer that was representing a criminal who chose to be executed by the electric chair i don't know why there were other methods available this was like in 2007 his name was like daryl i think i get chills just thinking about this he doesn't know the lawyer but he like has to have a lawyer represent him at the execution so that the lawyer if he needs to can like stop the execution and like just you know be there on his behalf like if he's like hey you guys are doing things wrong or you're not you're mistreating my client or whatever right yeah that makes sense so then then he um witnessed this execution go through and he thought that it was so inhumane and so grotesque and so horrible that he wrote this article to prevent Tennessee from bringing the electric chair back because they wanted to bring it back in 2017 so he wrote this article and he was basically like hey I'm gonna tell you guys what I saw and what I witnessed this because it was so horrible that I really want you guys to understand and not everyone sees it all because he was the lawyer. He saw everything. He saw, like, you know, the inmate getting from the cell, going, like, walking through the hallway, going over there, getting strapped in, all of this stuff. I'm going to cry. Where I know, where everyone else just sees the moment that they get, like, electrocuted, electrocuted right? Oh my like, God. it's like they draw the curtains and then they open it and they're like, oh, you know, they like read whatever legal things they need to read and then they electrocute him. But he was going into detail about 
how long it took for them to like strap him in there and like wet all these sponges and stuff and he's like and the whole time the guy is like probably thinking that any second is going to be the second that they like electrocute him because he has no idea and he's like has this thing over his head and he can't hear or anything and it's just it was so fucking gnarly, I hate that. dude. No, I don't like that. I couldn't that. sleep and I was like stressed the fuck out. You know, I, I often wonder like it must really fucking suck to be the person that has to actually flip that switch. You know, like even like the most hardened people who are like, you know what? I'm just doing my job. This person is a murderer. Even the most hardened person, you have to have some sort of PTSD from being like, I am the person who flipped the switch. In fact, I think I was reading something how there's multiple switches and multiple guards will flip them at once. So that way no one knows whose switch actually like electrocuted the person. I don't know if that's true, but I do know that when you get executed by firing squad, they give one of the guns a blank and they don't tell anyone who has it so that no one knows who actually like fired oh. the shot that kills the person. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it it reveals that even though we have sentenced someone to death because we think that um, their crime is, you know, worthy of that punishment. We feel remorse and guilt about it. Yeah. Otherwise, well, why wouldn't why wouldn't we all just fire the gun? You know. Right. Yeah. Like we definitely don't want that person to be a part of our society. But also, it's sort of fucked up. It's like, hey, like you, the murderer, have created a situation where now I, a non-murderer, have to murder you. I know. Like that's fucked up. Like you're making me right be you yeah that's I know. fucked and it's like it's so oh it too i think about the legal system also like it never comes down to one person right like even the judge is just one person but they don't have the say because like the jury is made up of multiple people you right. know so i feel like that's the way for us to sort of like dehumanize these situations where we're punishing people because it, we don't really think that it's us, you know? Yeah. It's like a collective hive mind mentality. Yeah. I mean, I definitely go back and forth on the death penalty, but it, it's like, it's easy to say like, no, nobody should die. But then I think about like, if some of those like horrible cases were to happen to like my best friend or my mom or something, I would absolutely want that person to die because that's human nature. It's like, it's easy to be benevolent and moral and be like, ah, oh, yes, I would never ever like it. I am so above um, society and I'm perfect and I don't think anyone should die because it's not my place and I'm not God. But then if confronted with a horrifying crime where like your child is like brutally tortured and murdered in front of your eyes, like I don't know how I would feel at that point. I'm sure I would absolutely want that person to die and not be anywhere near me so that I don't even have to think about it ever again. Like I don't have to worry about them making an appeal or getting out on some technicality or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever, making rehabbing their image while in prison. You know what I mean? Yeah, I will say that I totally agree with you. However, like when I read the story about the that electric uh, that electric chair um, article, the man who was being executed had killed three of his children and he the the lawyer who was writing it was like you know this uh, it's not my job to judge my client in fact i can't do that so mm -hmm. i i'm not even going to speak on any of the morality of the issue, the situation but when i read that like i i cried because i thought how sad that is but then it's also like very 
it's so cyclical because even even from the standpoint of like he's murdered children and he's dies like he's someone's kid and after you have a kid you just start thinking about how everyone is someone's child and there was like a time in their lives when that was like a precious innocent person Mm -hmm. you know and it's like it's just fucking sad it's sad and I'm sensitive and I don't know what I'm supposed to feel or what I'm supposed to do and I don't know why I was torturing myself why the fuck was I looking at that you know okay that's that's actually kind of funny though because so last night I didn't sleep at all I like fell asleep at 6 a.m this morning I think I like took a Benadryl at five and finally like dozed off at six and then woke up whenever I texted you at like 10 right and I was up reading about killers who commented on subreddits of cases that they were the killer in what did they say so it would be like like unsolved disappearances right so it'd be like i can't even think of one off the top of my head but you know like r slash and then the name of whatever that disappearance is and then the killer would like have an account and be commenting like oh i think it was so and so (gasps) like trying to throw off the trail and there's a whole list how do they find out that it was them because once they're caught then police like go through all of their social media and figure out like what did they post and a lot of it has come up in trial being like yeah this person was like obsessively following the case under a pseudonym on reddit and like doing this and that and there was one killer i forget his name but he went so far as to leave amazon reviews on all of the murder weapons that he purchased from amazon so like zip ties and he was like oh these rope. are really good zip ties yeah or like, like no these are flimsy these are really sturdy <laughs> like these are yeah stop looking at up. me like that oh my god Alyssa is like looking at me from across the room like her eyes are like 10 times you bigger guys, than they normally are. i can't help it this is this is just it's horrifying Dude, that's so creepy to me to think that like all of this shit in our office that we got from amazon could be like something that a killer ordered you could literally murder murder me with any number of objects in this room to be honest i'm very weak so you could probably murder me with one of these empty cardboard boxes you know what speaking of outlet splitters i'd really like to shout out michelle r for buying an outlet splitter from our amazon wish list thank you guys i wanted to say thank you to everyone who purchased something from our amazon wish list it's truly amazing that we have an office that's going to be put together at some point there's a bunch of empty box or not empty there's a bunch of boxes in our better not fucking be empty there's a bunch of boxes in our office right now that we need to unpack and we're so stoked so i'm going to take a moment to go ahead and thank some of our donors because i know some of you guys got lost in the past few weeks or so so i am going to shout out grim w mason h elizabeth j tim s hannah r kenny d mason h joanna h alicia c amy s Brian G, Sarah B, Gwendolyn L, Lachlan F, who gave us $100. Thank you very much, Lachlan. And I know that um, perhaps I forgot to mention that, which I don't understand why I did, because I literally wrote 100 with at least 10 exclamation points (laughs) next to it. So I'm sorry that I didn't say that sooner. Brielle S, Haley U, Daniela R, Georgia L, Reese Cat B, Wheezy S, Mason H, Minnie W, Amanda S, Brielle S, Kayla P, Charlotte D, 
Brandy B, Sam K, who donated $69. Pew, 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 pew. Alicia J, Minnie W, Brandy B, Michael M, Rebecca H, and Brandy B again. Thank you guys very much. Thank you. Thank you. And I would like to shout out Malik, Bree, Annie, Garrett G, Casilda, Madeline H, Madeline H, Cecilia F, Anna L, Kinsley M and James H. And I would love to give a very special shout out to a listener who goes by the Reddit username Branyards, who made us an amazing remix of the LGH theme song, which we are going to play during the outro for this episode. What? What? And if you guys would like to donate to our show, there are a couple different ways you can do that. Currently, we have an Amazon wish list going, which I'm going to link in the show notes to this episode, where you can purchase us something from our wish list for us to use in the office. And some of you have told me that you've had problems or Amazon has had problems delivering things. If you're going to buy us something from the wish list, I recommend doing it on a Monday because Saturday and Sunday, security at the building is, they're supposed to be here, but yeah. apparently Amazon has come and like knocked and then can't get a hold of security and then they leave. So if you order it on a Monday, we will get stuff because we have a whole pile of boxes. Mm -hmm. If you don't want to donate by buying us something from Amazon, you can also go ahead and send us a Kofi, which is going to be linked in our show notes down below. Or you can Venmo us at Natstron or at Dog Mom USA. Or you can go to our website, letsgethaunted.com to buy merch or to make a haunted donation there. And eventually we are going to have videos and, and vlogs coming out. That's right. And we are going to take you guys on a tour of our office once it's all yeah. set up. We're going to do oh a very God, special shout out. I know we're going to shout out everyone who sent us stuff. Uh, maybe oh we'll God, do like I'm a tribute so in the vlog. <gasps> a vlog? Like where we just we'll go like, around our office? And we'll just like salute as everyone's names scroll up from the bottom Wait, of the screen. Wait, we actually have the potential to have a fucking sick vlog because of the circumstances that I'm not going to talk about because you guys need to watch the vlog. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Natalia, are you ready to get into this week's story? You know it. Let's go. Okay. Today's story comes to us all the way from Zimbabwe. What? What do you know about Zimbabwe, if anything? And if you know nothing, that's fine, because I didn't really know anything about Zimbabwe prior to researching this story. Um, I want to say that I know nothing about it. So let me tell you about Zimbabwe. I'm going to school you right now, and you're going to learn not everything there is to know about Zimbabwe. It was way too much information for right. background. But like, here's a little snippet, just a little okay. taste of Zimbabwe. So Zimbabwe, officially the Republic of Zimbabwe, is a landlocked country located in Southeast Africa between the Zambezi and Limpopo rivers, bordered by South Africa to the south, Botswana to the southwest, Zambia to the north, and Mozambique to the east. Okay. The capital and largest, most populous city is Harare. The second largest city is Bulawayo. A country of roughly 15 million people, Zimbabwe has 16 official languages, with English, Shona, and Indebele the most common. It was once known as the Jewel of Africa for its great prosperity. Zimbabwe has one of the richest histories of any nation in southern Africa and first became a major trade route in the 11th century. 
During its late Iron Age, the Gokamere, the Bantu people who would become the ethnic Shona, built the vast city-state of Great Zimbabwe, which actually has quite a bit of lore surrounding it, but that's Ooh. not what this story is about. Maybe a future episode. Built on a wealth of natural resources, Great Zimbabwe flourished financially and culturally from the 14th to 15th centuries, becoming a mercantile powerhouse that controlled the gold, ivory, and copper trades with the Swahili coast and various Arab and Indian states. From there, the powerful kingdom of Zimbabwe was established. The Shona and Ndebele people, among others, had shaped Zimbabwe into a prosperous and strategically important region when Europeans began to colonize the area in the 1800s. The British South Africa Company of Cecil Rhodes first demarcated the present territory during 1890 when they conquered Mashona land, and later in 1893, Matabele land after a fierce resistance by Matabele people known as the First Matabele War. Company rule ended in 1923 with the establishment of Southern Rhodesia as a self-governing British colony. In 1965, the conservative white minority government unilaterally declared independence as Rhodesia. The state endured international isolation and a 15-year guerrilla war with black nationalist forces. This culminated in a peace agreement in April 1980. From 2000 to 2009, the economy experienced decline and hyperinflation before rebounding after the use of currencies other than the Zimbabwean dollar was permitted, though growth has since faltered. So the TLDR of this short history of Zimbabwe, and this is what my interpretation is from all of the sources I've read. This is not a historical podcast, so if there are any historian haunties out there listening, you can go ahead and correct me if I'm wrong. But this is what I'm understanding. Zimbabwe was an advanced, prosperous, wealthy nation for centuries, due in part to its rich natural resources until it was colonized by the British in the 1800s. Following colonization, a power struggle ensued between many political factions until eventually Zimbabwe regained its independence, which was officially recognized in 1980. Despite regaining its independence, Zimbabwe's economic and political stability has suffered a lot of uncertainty, lasting still to this day, which has resulted in wars, coups, and poverty in some areas. So basically, anytime there's a country that has a lot of natural resources, historically, it's attractive for other countries to come in and try to take those natural right. resources, and it right? it becomes an unstable place exactly. because everyone's fighting for it. Exactly. Totally. Yeah. Okay. Here's some more facts about Zimbabwe. The official currency is the Zimbabwean dollar. Its total population was last estimated at over 15 million inhabitants. It occupies a total area of over 150,000 square miles, which, to put into perspective, is three times the size of England or slightly larger than the U.S. state of Montana. And the main religions in the area are Christianity and traditional faith. So one of Zimbabwe's most popular landmarks is Victoria Falls. And a lot of people know of Zimbabwe oh. because of Victoria Falls. Oh, I didn't know that was in Zimbabwe. Yes. I thought that was South Africa. Oh, what, but it's touching South Africa. What? Wow. So, Natalia, have you ever heard of Victoria Falls? It sounds like you have. Yeah, I have. That's like, yeah, it's pretty famous. My parents once went on a um, 
trip to South Africa, which they'll never stop talking about. And I've heard about <laughs> Victoria Falls several times. <laughs> Perfect. Well, then you're already ahead of the curve, but I'm going to show you a picture of Victoria Falls just because it's pretty fucking amazing. It's crazy looking. It's like this big ass river. Like it's like straight up being a, this big ass fucking scary river with this big current. And then all of a sudden it just drops off the fucking face of the earth yes and it just seems so fucking like metal like fuck you fish fuck you animals (laughs) like i i know you thought that this was a river that went on for thousands of miles but now you're just get fucked yeah yeah. (laughs) no only the strong will survive okay bitches yeah i'm looking at okay so this is showing me a picture of it and it's literally exactly what i said it's like a sheet of water going over a like huge expanse. Like when I think of a waterfall, I think of like a little trickle of water down a big cliff and there's like a rainbow, you know, like like very like Hawaiian like background, you know, you the background of your windows computer or something. Right. This is like a fucking scary nightmare. Like, <laughs> like if you go over this, your shit's fucked. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking about going over, it's fucking up my shit. And what do fish do? Do they know that that's going to end like that? Like, I don't, you know, it? I don't know that I can think about it because if I think <laughs> about it for too long, I may spiral and we won't get to the okay. end of this story. Well, I'm spiraling. But I will say it's extremely beautiful. It's probably, in my opinion, as like an American, I would call it the most popular landmark in Zimbabwe. Just from my perspective, it's the right. like, you know, the most popular one I've heard of. It's Instagrammable. It's Instagrammable. And there's even like, I'm sure you guys have seen this on Instagram with like influencers go to Zimbabwe and they take a picture at Victoria Falls and right before the fall like goes off and your shit's fucked there's a little pool and I think oh, it's I called like that. I think it's called like the devil's pool or something yeah it's like a little tide pool right yeah. in front of the fall and like people are like appear to be drunk I don't know why else <sighs> they would be behaving that way but they're like it gives me trying vertigo. to take um like thought pictures there yeah and they're like thirst traps yeah but it's like you're there you need to be on full alert yeah like one wrong step and you're suddenly out of the calm little pool and you're You're over the side of victoria falls and then someone filmed the whole thing right and then now like you're on r slash watch people die which got shut down so actually you wouldn't be on there anymore i think But r slash watch people die inside still right. exists. How was that ever allowed? Watch people <laughs> yeah. die. Like- Dude, how was Live Leak ever allowed? How was like anything? The early 2000s of internet. Right. Like or actually the early 2010s of internet was just like awful. Yeah. Dude, Horrific. the stuff that I saw on chain emails no. was like, hey, make sure your kids don't go play on those little oil rig things. Because look at all of these photos oh. of these people getting mangled by oh, it. Oh my God. Show it to your children. <laughs> I'm like melting right now. I just feel like my soul is leaving my body remembering those dark times. Okay. But anyway, back to Zimbabwe. Yeah. Okay. Happier times. Right. Victoria Falls. We okay. can't talk about it anymore. It's like making my heart rate. <laughs> well, too bad because I got one more sentence for you. According to Wikipedia, while it is neither the highest nor the widest waterfall in the world, Victoria Falls are classified the largest based on its combined width of 5,604 feet and a height of 354 feet, resulting in the world's largest sheet of falling water. And it is roughly twice the height of North America's Niagara Falls and well over twice the width. Wow. Today's story, as you may have guessed, takes place in Zimbabwe. 
located just outside of the town of Rumba. Who doesn't know that today's stories is it? it well, maybe I'm just like way. throwing you like I'm like a wild card today, and maybe okay, I was I like just that. throwing you a little curveball. Now I'm like, actually, today's story take place takes place in China. Just wanted to tell you about Zimbabwe. Some cool shit I read this Would morning not, at 3 a.m. Not be surprised. At yeah. All. So, Natalia, I'm going to show you a map of where today's story takes place on the map of Zimbabwe. Okay, guys, I'm looking at a map of Zimbabwe. <laughs> there's um, there's a dot on it with an arrow pointing to it that looks like it's in the northeastern corner. You did it. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. So, if you're familiar with Zimbabwe geography... The capital of Zimbabwe is Harare, I think is how it's pronounced. And slightly to the left, or excuse me, slightly to the right of that capital is where today's story takes place. Ruwa is an interesting little town. In recent years, it has grown quite a bit, but our story takes place in the early 1990s, specifically in 1994. Rua is described as a small agricultural center located about 14 miles southeast of the capital of Zimbabwe. In 1994, Rua wasn't considered a town, and locals referred to it as, quote, little more than a crossroads in an agricultural region. Haunted. Super haunted. Regions are crossroads. very haunted. Crossroads. Yeah. Super haunted. If you guys don't know what we're talking about, no time to explain. Listen to the Crossroads episode, or you can listen to um, the Black Forest episode where we talked about unincorporated towns. Despite being little more than a crossroads, Rua was home to an expensive, elite, private primary school known as the Ariel School. And it is at this school that our story today takes place. Mm. Are you ready to buckle the fuck up, Natalia? Yeah, I am. All right. Here we go. The students at the Ariel School were generally between the ages of 5 and 13, or from grade 1 through grade 8, and attended daily classes Monday through Friday with various recess breaks throughout the day to eat, rest, and play. One Friday morning at 10 a.m. sharp on September 16, 1994, the bell rang for mid-morning break and around 150 school children poured out from their classrooms for recess to play with their friends in the schoolyard. The yard consisted of a large circle of mowed grass with no formal fencing to define its borders. A line of brush, thorny bushes, and tree stumps butted up to where the manicured grass ended marking the boundary that the children knew they were not to cross. Most days, there would be several teachers assigned to watch over the children during their recess. But as fate would have it, on this particular day, for the first time in school history, a faculty-wide meeting was called for all staff members and the children were left alone. As the children laughed and played, bouncing balls, jumping and running along the bounds of the playground, suddenly there appeared flashing lights on the distant horizon. Although it was daytime and the sun was shining brightly, several silver flashes began pulsating in quick succession. (laughs) 
so intensely on the horizon that they could be clearly seen from the schoolyard, even through the sunshine. As child after child turned their head to look toward the flashes that bounced off the clouds, a small crowd of students began to gather on the top of a small dirt incline in the yard. The small crowd grew larger as more pupils realized that their classmates were all pointing in the same direction. All whispering in excited but confused murmurs. As the pulsing lights drew closer to the school, an eerie whistling flute noise filled the air. And suddenly, time seemed to slow down around the school. Students who were walking towards the group suddenly felt that their bodies were heavier, legs inching through the air slower and slower as the whistle sound filled the air, like a tea kettle ready to explode. The experience soon overwhelmed the senses of the confused primary students, who felt as though they were not in control of any of their senses their eyes filling with the flashing silver beams, their ears overwhelmed with the note of some mystical flute, their arms and legs growing heavier and slower under their heads. After several frozen moments, one child somehow managed to break free from the crowd and look away from the lights on the horizon, running as best as he could toward a tuck shop or snack cart on the premises. He flew past friends and classmates, past buildings and trees, seeking the only adult who would not be in the faculty meeting that morning, a parent who had volunteered to work at the tuck shop that day. Allison Kirkman, a mother of one of the students, was manning the tuck shop that morning when the child, named Luke, ran breathlessly to the snack counter, panting and heaving as if he were about to vomit. Not immediately alarmed, Allison cheerfully greeted Luke, asking him if he'd like to purchase his usual chocolate bars that morning. But as Luke's wild eyes met hers, Allison felt a pit growing in her stomach. Something was wrong. Meanwhile, back at the schoolyard, the silver flashes drew closer still to where the students were huddled. Two students, Emily and Salma, gripped each other's hands, trembling. Then, the silver light came into view. There was a hovering sphere. Maybe two or three. It was hard to tell since the flashing lights made it hard to see. But in any case, the silver flashes soon faded to a golden glow around a perfectly shiny sphere. To some of the students, it seemed that the sphere or spheres were following along the power line that brought electricity into the school. And the musical flute noise soon gave way to the overwhelming hum of electricity, 
growing louder and louder, echoing off the power lines as the sphere ran along it, as if the object was attracting or harnessing the electricity in some way. Then the sphere came to a stop. Just beyond the tree stumps and thorny brush, just beyond the boundary where students dare not cross. The golden shine made the children's eyes water in pain. It was so impossibly bright. The sphere then situated itself a bit at an angle. And from the side, it no longer looked like a sphere, but more like a cigar. A silver, round, bright pill-shaped craft with a golden glow came into focus as it hovered above the bush. One of the children blinked, and the craft disappeared. She blinked again. The craft was back. Blink. Gone. Blink. Back. As if some thinning of the veil or cloaking device was covering it and then revealing it again just as quickly. The whole situation was surreal and confusing to the children. They each tried to make sense of what they were witnessing, but none could. The craft seemed to hum and vibrate even louder as it came to a rest, floating, just a foot or so above the ground, and stopping there mid-air between some trees. A sudden cold, whooshing wind blew over the onlookers. And breathlessly, the classmates clung to each other as they watched, in horror, as a being stepped forward from the craft. What? Emerging seamlessly from the cigar, it walked toward the edge of the schoolyard. Then, another being silently appeared right behind it. What? The beings were small in stature, measuring around three feet tall and slender. Dressed in some sort of dark, form-fitting bodysuit, the skin was perfectly smooth, free from blemishes, as if made of porcelain, the eyes as large as dinner plates, a sharp line of a mouth, as if a cut made with scissors and a piece of sheet metal, sat underneath the round, unblinking eyes. At this point, the heaviness that had permeated the schoolyard and seemed to slow down time lifted for a moment and those children who could ran screaming into the school building. But some of the oldest children closest to the beings remained frozen to the ground. A magnetic pole keeping the soles of their feet sealed to the grass. Emily, eight years old, and Salma, 11, were two of the pupils who stayed. One of the being's eyes locked with Emily's. The eyes seemed like an insect to her. Hundreds of little eyes in one eye socket. Ew. And suddenly, thousands upon thousands of images began flashing through her mind. 
The images were of pieces of technology she had never seen before, things that she had no reason to know of. And she understood that the being was trying to communicate with her, although it was not speaking out loud. Another little girl, Isabel, was so frightened of the being that she wanted to look away but couldn't. Instead, her head filled with words that weren't her own, echoing off the inside of her skull, filling her mind with messages, not pictures. In all, 62 school children between the ages of 6 and 12 remained in the schoolyard. Until 15 minutes later, the bell rang, signifying the end of mid-morning break. As the last tone of the bell rang out and disappeared, the crafts and the beings, in the blink of an eye, all disappeared. It was as if a spell had been broken. Suddenly able to move, the children excitedly filed into their classroom, some crying hysterically out of fear, and others simply chattering with exhilaration. They began to talk at once, telling any adult nearby them what had happened. Some informed their teachers, others informed the school gardener, the janitor, the principal, but the staff largely ignored the children, chalking the stories up to kids telling a tall tale. Natalia, what do you think so far of this story? I'm going to pause here. Wow. I mean, uh, I'm, I am wanting to know what that girl's words were going around in her head. Why didn't she tell me? Oh, I'm going to tell you. Don't you worry. But so far, do you believe this story or do you feel like it's kind of like, I mean, weird? I don't know. If, I wasn't there, so it's hard for me to say. I believe that, you know, I'm going to go ahead and just say I believe it so far, but I could understand why teachers would be like, oh, the kids are playing a prank on me or, oh, you know, they're just trying to be relevant. Like, it, Yeah. Right. But, right. Like we weren't there at recess and now they're trying to like, yeah. you know, tell us a tall tale. Right. Exactly. Okay. The pupils had no choice but to return to their studies for the rest of the day pretending as if nothing had happened to them. While many were able to hold it together while class was in session, pure pandemonium broke out as the kids returned to their homes. Soon, parents began calling the school, demanding an answer to what their kids were telling them. With faculty being unhelpful, some parents went to a local radio station called ZBC Radio. As news of the alleged alien sighting spread throughout Zimbabwe, it attracted the attention of several researchers. First to the scene was paranormal reporter Cynthia Hind, who happened to live in Zimbabwe. She visited the school the very next day, Saturday, and began interviewing students who were in the area. One by one, she pulled the children aside individually and asked each of the kids she interviewed to draw what they had seen. Natalia, I would like you to look at a compilation of some of these drawings mm -hmm. made by the students the day after this alleged alien sighting. Can I just tell you, can <laughs> I just tell you why the waterfall bothers me so much? Yes, please do because, so. Because so the water, the river is like <laughs> our our environment to the fish. Right, okay. Right? So I want you to just picture for a second, you're walking to work on a sidewalk. <laughs> okay? You're just walking, everything's fine. 
you you've walked on the sidewalk for a really long time and everything's been cool and then literally out of nowhere the fucking world ends yeah like there's it's just a vacuum a sheer cliff vacuum right like because the water just goes off and then the fish are in the air and fish don't live in air do you understand i don't know how to explain this more than i am but it just is unnatural and that just feels like a cruel thing and you know what some might call that haunted yes okay i'm looking at what am i looking at this is a drawing and it says see uh, oh okay so it says uh uap and you can scroll down so uap is another word for a ufo it what? just means unidentified phenomena okay unidentified aerial phenomena um uh, unidentified it looks like wop <laughs> a ui op is seen above the power lines it looks like a flying saucer but then you're looking up at it and there's like a y shape on the bottom and at the end of each of the little lines and the y there's like um a dot which i am assuming is lights the next drawing oh these are shitty drawings these are like children drawing yeah it's ages five through twelve yeah the next one is like literally someone took a crayon and just put like they just like gripped it and they like just correct this piece of paper but it looks like a fish in the sky with a door on it and then there's a swing set and there's like someone looking up the next one looks like it looks like if you cut a football in half and then there's a door in it. The next one looks like a bowler hat with like a bunch of lines on the outside with lights on it. This next one says, um, I only had yellow to draw with. So this is what I made. And it looks like trees with a bunch of yellow discs. Just like, you guys go look at these, look at these drawings. They're all there on our Instagram. Uh, the next one is a flying saucer. It's got other flying saucers behind it. This one looks like sort of like a mushroom, but it's got like legs coming off of it. This one shows the, yeah, it says it's coming down off of the trees. So it's like, looks like it's coming through trees. Yeah, this one, again, is like um, the UFO with the trees. This one, again, UFO in the trees. This one's a UFO in the trees, and it's labeled UFO. This one, again, it looks like a submarine in the trees. This one, yeah, these are all very similar. Aren't they? Yeah, and they were all interviewed individually away from each other the day after this alleged sighting, and all of them came up with pretty similar drawings, right? Yeah, this one looks a little different, though. It's like a cigarette shaped with legs that come on the outside they uh most of them look the same there are a few that look a little different but perhaps it was just the angle that they were at you know that they yeah could- and also to a child um they might interpret it differently right like maybe if they've seen a cigar before they might be like oh that's a cigar shape and draw that whereas a child that's never seen a cigar might be like oh it looked like you know a a cup or it looked like a dinner plate like they relate it to what they know right yeah now i'm looking at pictures of the beings and um yeah they look like like exactly how ali described them like aliens yeah, they look oh, like creepy. stereotypical aliens, right? And they're kind of, they're creepy looking. Yeah, they are really creepy with like big black eyes. <laughs> someone, someone commented on this thread, that drawing of the leprechaun from that uh, like old viral video. Oh, really? Like, I want the gold. <laughs> I want to know what to go. I, I want to know what to go. Give me the gold.
<laughs> oh, somebody commented and said that's what it looks like? No, they just commented that picture oh, underneath it, but it's hilarious. Can I have one of these sour straws? Yeah, yeah, do it. Um, Just chew away from the mic because I had to cut your mic noise out when you were eating the pasta last time because it sounded like wet pussy. I'm going to be honest oh. with you. <laughs> it wasn't pasta. It was... Um... <laughs> it was... <laughs> okay, but that's hilarious. All right, so Natalia, now that you've seen some of these pictures that the students drew and you've described them to our audience, do you have any like overarching takeaway from all of these drawings? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say that all of the children saw uh, drew an UFO and they most of them drew it as depicted either flying above them or landing in the trees or having landed in the trees. Yes, correct. Okay, cool. So we, I mean, when we think of kids age like five through 13 or six, I mean, it depends on which source you read. Some sources say five through 13, others say six through 12. The point is these are young primary school students. The idea that they would all be drawing such similar um, pictures is kind of unbelievable unless they really saw something like that. And like you pointed out, a couple of them look a little bit different, but maybe we could chalk that up to being like, you know, a child is going to interpret what they're seeing differently depending on their life experiences. Yeah, I mean, I don't think six to 12 year olds are that, I don't want to say intelligent, but I don't know if they're that committed. Like if they have the attention span to pull off a prank like that. Yeah, definitely. I would agree. Yeah. Like I can think of several times where I got um, in trouble with a group of people and I was in high school and I was like, okay, before we go into discipline committee, guys, this is what we're going to say. This is our story. And they fucking. And if someone always fucks it up, they fucked it up. Yeah. Yeah. And then like I got disciplined because everyone's like, you lied. And I'm like, you fucking snakes. Okay. This reminds me quick aside. When I was in college, I may have already talked about this before. I never know. I don't know who listens to this podcast. I feel like every once in a while, someone from like my previous life will be like, right. hey, I listened to this episode and it was really funny. And I'm and like, you're like, how'd you get my number? Yeah, I'm like, who are you? Don't even remember who I was when I knew you. But I remember my sophomore year of college, somebody who I thought was my friend at the time. We were all underage. We were all in someone else's dorm. I wasn't drinking. Genuinely. It was like... um. Like, you know, those two suites that attach to each other through a single bathroom? Yes. So I was on one half with my friend Jack and we were just like playing Modern Warfare 2. And then on the other side were some friends in the other suite and they were drinking. All of a sudden we hear someone pounding on the door. We get up and open the door and it's an RA. They had caught the people on the other side of the bathroom drinking. And so because we were connected through that common bathroom, all of us were in trouble We're out in the hallway. One of the girls who I thought was my friend was crying hysterically and is like, I don't go to school here because she didn't want to get in trouble. And they were like, oh, really? What school do you go to? And anytime we went to LMU and anytime we were in trouble off campus, we would say we went to Otis School of Arts and Design because it was close by. And like, how do you prove? And so she was like, oh, I go to Otis. And they were like, oh, yeah, right. You go to Otis. Like, we're going to need to see some ID. And she was like, I don't have ID. And they were like, well, who are you visiting here? And she turns and looks at me and she goes, um, I'm visiting Allie. Um, I'm her friend from Otis and I'm visiting her. And so it puts me in an awkward fucking position. So I'm like, okay, I guess we're just going to, I'm going to roll with the punches. So I was like, yeah, she's my friend from Otis visiting me. I didn't know she was drinking though. I like, what do you fucking say to that? Mm -hmm. So then they separate us. And she eventually cracked under pressure and was like, okay, I'm a student here. So then I got in trouble for lying 
She got in trouble for drinking, but I got in trouble for lying when I was just fucking being a nerd playing Call of Duty with a friend on a Tuesday night. You shouldn't have lied, though. Yeah. But again, (laughs) if I and this girl as college students could not keep a story straight amongst two of us. That's my point is like people who have like brains that are more evolved yes like arguably yeah yeah like can't even get their shit together and so i would think that children this young their like sense of morality would probably be a little bit better because they are you know like you teach kids like no we don't lie like Mm -hmm. no we don't steal like barney is like oh sister i just got upset because i love you yeah yeah like they're they're more pure Yeah, I would agree with that. And they probably have consequences are probably scarier to them about lying. Like, I remember when I was little, I thought that if I lied, Santa wouldn't bring me presents. Right. And Santa's like half your year is like thinking about Santa. Well, and also, I I just remember being like, how embarrassing if like I'm the only person that Santa doesn't bring gifts to. Like, then everyone knows I'm just like a fuck up and like I can't hide it. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's incredible. Yeah. So anyway, point is, we have 62 students. Yeah. One of them would have cracked. One One of them would have been like, oh. Oh, the older kids told us to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Now, following Cynthia Hines' interview of the students, where she got them to all draw these drawings that I'm going to post to our Instagram at Let's Get Haunted, a couple months after this, news starts like spreading throughout Zimbabwe, being like, hey, this crazy thing happened. There's these 62 kids. They all say that they saw these crafts. Some of the drawings are being published in newspapers. And a BBC correspondent who's located in Zimbabwe named Tim Leach decides that he's going to go visit the school too and try to conduct some filmed interviews with the students and the staff. So he's on the fucking case and he goes and he interviews the students and he's like in the process of compiling basically what he thinks is going to be a documentary about this and he thinks like oh hell yeah like the BBC we're going to be on like the forefront of this sort of phenomenon that's just happened with a shit ton of witnesses like how many ufo incidents have we covered on this show where 62 people saw the craft just this one yeah zero except for this one right normally it's like some random guy is alone in the wilderness and is radioactive now yeah and went missing for five days exactly and like was he on meth and drunk like we don't know we kind of just have to take his word for it so this is a very unique incident that's happened So following Tim Leach's interviews with the students, next this story kind of catches even more fire and it starts spreading internationally because now the BBC has covered it. And so a Harvard University professor of psychiatry named John Mack decides that he's going to go travel from Harvard in the U.S., all the way to Zimbabwe and interview witnesses himself. So he goes there, he interviews all the witnesses, and now us in modern times, we are left with a very well-documented UFO incident because now we have drawings done by Hind, we have video interviews done by Leach, and a scientific paper basically done by Mac, a Harvard-trained Um, professor. So according to the interviews, 62 children between the ages of 6 and 12 claim to have seen at least one UFO. The basic details of the sightings were consistent, although specific details differed, as you pointed out. The basic story is that one or more silver objects, usually described as discs, but sometimes described or drawn as a donut or a cigar, appeared in the sky. 
They then floated down to a field of brush and small trees just outside the school property. Between one and four creatures with big eyes and dressed all in black exited a craft and approached the children. Interestingly, and I'm kind of interested to like hear what you think of this, Natalia. Some of the black children described the beings as white, and some of the white children described the beings as black. In any case, all children agreed that the beings were dressed in all black, and one student who had been scuba diving before described the getup of the beings as being similar to a black scuba suit. And some of the kids that were exposed to American culture described the being as looking like Michael Jackson. That's a good little Easter egg there. Okay, I know exactly what to make of the black kids thinking that they're white and the white kids thinking that they're black. If you're black and something comes out that's really light, maybe that's white to you. And if you're white and something comes out that's darker than you, maybe that's black to you. Actually, that's a good hypothesis. Right? Like, I'm brown, but I'm sure to somebody I'm, like, not brown enough. Like, you never like, know. There's a shade. There's a spectrum. And if we're talking about an area of the world where it, it really is the two majorities are black and white, like you said, maybe the kids are just describing things in the only way that they know how. They're like, okay, well, it's not like me. It's lighter. So it's white. And Oh, it, it's not like yeah. me. It's darker. So it's black. I'm sure... People who like follow American pop culture know that Michael Jackson very famously was a darker skinned black man in his younger day. And then due to vitiligo and him bleaching his skin to try to make it match his vitiligo, he kind of became almost white passing, right? Right. In his adulthood. So it's interesting, though, that some of these kids might might equate that to this sort of like racially ambiguous being that steps out of this craft. Right. Kids are very pure, like you right. said, right? So they're not going to they're not going to understand all of the complexities necessarily of like someone with vitiligo unless they've been exposed to that, right? Yeah. So this was a pretty diverse group of kids. Um, there was a lot of wealthy white kids. There were a lot of wealthy black kids. There were some Indian kids. And so it was pretty diverse. But I don't know that every single child would understand like like they're trying to equate it to what they know. And so right. like maybe and two kids saw Michael Jackson on TV and they were like, well, maybe kind of like that. I took this class in college. I can't remember what it was called. Oh, no, it was like race something. But the point of the class was like to teach you that race was like a social construct. Right. And that one point of the class we talked about like this was fucked up. This was like an episode of The Office. There was a bunch of pictures of people and they were like, pick out the features that make this person whatever race it says underneath oh really so it would have a picture of a person and then it would say black and then it would be like what features on this person are black get you to look at your preconceived notions of race yeah yeah and then at the end it was like just kidding they weren't even black different people have different perceived like attributes that go with each race so to some people being white meant that you had a certain like hair type or like thin lips yeah exactly or like Mm -hmm. thin lips or you had um like your body was shaped a certain way Mm -hmm. and it was kind of like all of the different races had like different things that people like attributed to them and it was all different from everyone 
So I'm wondering maybe it wasn't even about the skin color. Maybe it was like, oh, like this being had like these eyes that to me were white or like it had this thing that like, you know. That's a good point. Yeah. Although some of the little minute details change, the basic story of what happened to these kids remains constant in every single account by every single student interviewed. Once the beings exited the craft, many of the children ran toward the building, like I said, but some of the kids, mostly the older ones, stayed and watched the beings approach. So it's also interesting to note that at this school, there is a play yard like we talked about. Like, you know, when you were a kid and you would go out to recess, you would go outside and normally there was like, you know, asphalt or maybe like a grass patch. And normally there's a fence around that, right? So these kids were in a rural area and there was no fence around their um, schoolyard. Okay. But they did have little landmarks that they knew that they weren't allowed to cross. So the area that they were allowed to play in was like mowed and they had a gardener that worked at the school that would make sure that like the area was accessible, right? It was like manicured grass and brush and like dirt. And there are some pictures that I'll show you in a little bit. Mm -hmm. But then on the outside where a fence would go, instead of a fence, they just hadn't mowed that area of the brush, right? So there would be like these thorny bushes or these tree stumps. And what's interesting is this craft or crafts, depending on which account you want to believe is real, because all the kids had a little different of opinion. Some said one craft, some, some, some said three, some said one being, some said four. Where these crafts stopped is right on the edge of the play yard and none of them crossed into the manicured area. None of the beings crossed that area. Mm. So as the kids are watching these beings just standing there on the edge of the schoolyard staring at them with insect eyes. No. Some of them that didn't run away made this eye contact and then immediately, like I said, they're starting to get either these flashes of images mm-hmm. or words and phrases in their minds. communicating with them. Exactly. So I am going to read to you two short transcripts or two short excerpts of interviews that Mac, who is the Harvard researcher, did with some of these kids. And since the kids are underage, the names are not in these particular accounts. So Mac says, what was the feeling when you looked at the eyes? Girl number one, it was scary. Mac, scary why? What made it scary? Girl number one, the eyes looked evil. Mac, evil? What was evil about them? Say what you mean by evil. Girl number one, it looked evil because it was just staring at me. Mac, Staring at you as if what? As if to do what? Girl number one, as if it wanted to come and take me. Okay, now girl number two's interview. Oh my God, who's teaching these kids to talk like this? Mac, how did those thoughts come to you? Did they come to you from the craft or from... Girl number two, from the man. Mac, and did the man say those things to you? How did he get that across to you? Girl number two, He never said anything. It was just the eyes. Mac, what was the sense you got from those eyes? Girl number two, he was interested. And then a young boy was interviewed who later came out and gave his name publicly. So this guy's name is Guy. Guy G. Oh, wow. He said, I could see the little man. 
about a meter tall, was dressed in black, a shiny suit, that he had long black hair, and his eyes, which seemed lower on the cheek than our eyes, were large and elongated. The mouth was just a slit, and the ears were hardly discernible. According to Max interviews, the creature or creatures then telepathically communicated to the children an environmental message before returning to the craft and flying away. In Max's interviews, one fifth grader tells how he was warned, quote, about something that's going to happen and that pollution mustn't be. An 11-year-old girl told Mac, quote, I think they want people to know that we're actually making harm on this world and we mustn't get too technologied. One child said that he was told that the world would end because they are, quote, not taking care of the planet. Another child later stated that she saw a series of pictures in her head, all of which gave her the following message, quote, there's a good way of using technology, there's a bad way of using technology, and you can do better. And that is the story of the aerial school aliens, also known as the Rua UFO incident, an incident which has gone down in history as being one of the most famous UFO cases in all of Africa. So before we get into the theories, Natalia, what are your thoughts on this so far? I have a few thoughts. Do we know where Michael Jackson was at this time? <laughs> it could have been him. So we can't, we can't, <laughs> we can't rule it out. out. We can't he rule it out. He said it had long black hair. That's why I thought. So that's okay. Thank you for bringing that up. So that is a discrepancy. Some of the kids say that there was no hair on any of the beings. Mm. And a couple of them say, no, I saw a being with long black hair. Well, if they were communicating telepathically, they could change their image that they were projecting to whatever the, they thought was going to result in success with the children. Absolutely. And that's why it could be that the being was just kind of cycling through different images, trying to right. figure out what the child would respond best to. Right. Are you ready to hear the theories? Sure, let's go. Okay. Theory number one, mass hysteria or social contagion. I'm going to go ahead and say false. <laughs> In 2011, African research psychologist Demobli Kakoda wrote a piece for the September edition of the Malawi Medical Journal entitled Episodes of Mass Hysteria in African Schools, a Study of Literature. Kokoda, whose work has focused on the treatment of mental health disorders and mental illness at the primary care level in Africa, takes the position that the aerial school incident never occurred, and instead offers the following explanation. Quote, People in Africa are more likely to attribute mass hysteria to the supernatural, such as witchcraft, Satanism, or any element which makes up their cultural beliefs. Mass hysteria is something that has occurred in many schools throughout Africa. Mass hysteria has been defined as the occurrence in a group of people of a constellation of physical symptoms suggesting, suggesting an organic illness, but resulting from a psychological cause with each member of the group experiencing one or more of the symptoms. It is caused by the extreme stressful situations that the students encounter and enhanced by face-to-face -face or visual communication, indirect conversation or gossip, and the mass media. Mass hysteria has a negative impact on the physical, psychological, and social well-being of students and needs to be quickly managed. Time should not be wasted in a fruitless search for environmental, for environmental precipitants, which by reinforcing behavior may serve to prolong the episode. 
In other words, mass hysteria should not be a diagnosis of exclusion. After all, the physical, chemical, and biological factors have been ruled out. Group anxiety should be reduced, and statements denying the role of the presumed agent, such as witchcraft or the supernatural, should be made by those in authority. Unless the initial fear is given credibility by the media or authorities, cases of mass anxiety hysteria seldom last more than a few days. Kokoda goes on to cite several other prominent instances of mass hysteria in various other countries in Africa. For example, in 2009 in Masvingo, Zimbabwe, an alleged case of mass hysteria occurred at Nemanwa Primary School when tens of pupils began screaming wildly and complaining of visions of evil spirits in the form of snakes, hyenas, lions, and crocodiles. The visions lasted for days until a school administrator asked a reverend to say that he had prayed the evil spirits away. Immediately after the school official made this announcement, the visions, faintings, and complaints on behalf of the students stopped. In another case, which occurred on February 4, 2008, over a hundred students at a primary school in western Uganda began attacking each other and teachers, throwing stones and banging on doors and windows for seemingly no reason. Similar to the previous case at the Nemanwa Primary School in Zimbabwe, quote, the authorities termed the incident as demonic attacks, invited a church leader to conduct special prayers for the pupils, and then the incident ceased. Kokoda goes on to cite many more similar incidents occurring throughout modern history on the continent of Africa and uses them as a backdrop to advocate for the need for study, education, and understanding surrounding mental health challenges, particularly in areas with unstable government, rapid social and political change, social and economic distress, and pervasive traditional supernatural beliefs, and traumatic war. So the TLDR is that following Kokoda's logic, an argument can be made that the aerial school incident, wherein 62 children all reported seeing an alien craft accompanied by extraterrestrials that spoke to them telepathically, can be chalked up to an episode of mass hysteria, or, as we learned in our episode on the infield horror, an episode of social contagion. Unlike in many of the other incidents cited by Kokoda, the aerial school incident is unique in that no resolution was ever reached, and the incident's validity was perpetuated for decades by Western media and local authorities, creating a situation in which the hysteria could never be resolved. I get what he's saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he, but he's using it as an example to say, look, in all of these other incidents that have happened in Zimbabwe and in different countries in Africa. They brought in a priest and then it ended. And it resolved immediately. And here it's not ending because people like keep getting exposed to it through Over the and over again. Totally. Right. Yeah. So what do you think of that? Um, I think it's a gaslighting uh, <laughs> example, and I would say to Kokoda that perhaps the haunting stopped because they p- brought a priest in. But so. his but his argument is in some of the cases they just said that a priest prayed even though he didn't, and then immediately like all the kids were like, oh, well, we're better. Well, if you believe in the law of attraction, then um, acting as if a police that like if they believe that the priest came and protected their soul, then. Perhaps they, it did. That's true. Then who's to say that it didn't protect right. their soul, right? Okay. Moving on. Theory number two, a hoax. Skeptics have long suspected that the aerial school incident was nothing more than a hoax or prank by a few students that then spread to younger, more susceptible students. 
According to an article for the Boston Herald by Benjamin Bell entitled, Film Takes Closer Look at African UFO Sighting, quote, Among the doubters is Robert Schaefer, 60, a 32-year-old veteran of the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry and author of the book UFO Sightings, The Evidence. What a lame. The bottom line is that there is no evidence, he said of the case. We don't know why we don't know what pressure may have been placed on the kids to tell the stories the way that they did. Schaefer said it's possible that the children who had been left alone decided to pull a prank. He conceived of a scenario in which the older kids of the group convinced the younger ones to go along with the sighting, which was taken to the next level when the authorities became involved. So in this theory, a couple of older kids, realizing that all of the teachers were in a meeting and that therefore the pupils were left unsupervised for the first time ever, Mm -hmm. decided to pull a prank. They claimed to have seen a hovering aircraft and one or more extraterrestrials in the schoolyard. They then convinced some of the younger students that they had seen it too. Mm -hmm. Once the hysteria took hold of the students in the schoolyard and the authorities became involved, the story was too big to be recanted. We could also combine this theory with the previous theory and surmise that the older children who first started the lie might be too afraid to later come forward and admit that they lied, since some of the cases of mass hysteria reported by reported by Kakoda found that perpetrators who spread supernatural stories were sometimes jailed by their governments for quote-unquote witchcraft. Mm. And if you're finding it hard to believe that the younger children would go along with this lie and come to believe it so steadfastly all these years later, I present to you an excerpt of an article published to British Psychological Society's Reader's Digest entitled, Negative False Memories Are More Easily Implanted in Children's Minds Than Neutral Ones. No, this is the same fucking theory that you love to bring up that you know I don't like. Quote, (laughs) children develop false memories for a negative event more readily than they do for a neutral one. Henry Otgar and colleagues who made the new finding said their work has real-world implications for anyone working with child witnesses. Quote, the argument that is sometimes heard in court, an example, this memory report must be true because it describes such a horrible event, is, as our data shows, on shaky grounds. 76 children aged between 7 and 9 years old were asked to recall details about a true event that happened to them the previous year. For example, that their class had to perform a musical. And either a neutral fictitious event, moving classrooms, or a negative fictitious event, being wrongly accused of copying a classmate's work. The children were asked about the events, true and fictitious, during two interviews held a week apart. If at first the children were unable to recall any further details, they were asked to concentrate and try again. They were also asked to reflect on the events during the week between interviews to see if they could flesh out any further details. Altogether, 74% of the children developed false memories for the fictitious event that was negative. The researchers speculated that children might be more prone to developing false memories of negative rather than neutral events because the two kinds of information are stored differently in the brain. Negative information is more interrelated than neutral material, they explained. As a result, the presentation of negative information, either true or false, might increase the possibility that other negative materials become activated in memory. This, in turn, could affect the development of a false memory for a negative event. 
So this experiment's kind of fucked up, right? So the negative event that they told them was they copied another student's uh, work and got caught. Yeah. So they took a group of 70 something students and they were like, hey, remember last year when you guys did that school play, like that school musical? And they all remember it because that's true. And then they slowly implant a neutral false memory and a negative false memory. And they say, oh, yeah, you remember. And, you know, halfway through the school year, you guys changed classrooms. That's neutral. And some of the kids were like, most of the kids were like, no, that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And no matter how long they waited, how many times they tried to make the kids remember it, most of the kids didn't remember that neutral event. With the negative event, 70 something percent were like, oh yeah, I do remember that I was accused incorrectly of copying off of a kid's paper. And like, that was really traumatic for me. And like, that was really unjust. Kids, kids have a different minds. Like you're like, uh, one of the ways you're supposed to parent them is like, say that they like break a plate or they're like, I'm going to break this plate. You're like, you don't break plates, you know, and they don't break the plate. So I don't know. Fucking, I just don't like that theory. I'm not going to entertain it. Okay. Well, if we don't like it because maybe it's kind of fucked up to, to like implant a false memory in a child. Which is what they're suggesting. They're saying yeah. perhaps a false memory was implanted in these young impressionable I feel like children. That's, like they're they think they did something that they didn't. Like you can have a conversation with a child and get them to agree with something that's not true. And I wouldn't be like, I implanted a fake memory in their head. I would be like, Oh, I had like a bullshit conversation with a kid. Other proponents of this theory state how coincidental, quote unquote, it is that the staff just happened to be at a meeting during this incident. Right, maybe it was the staff that did it. Yes, something which had never happened before. And they theorized that perhaps it was the staff playing a prank on the students. And when the prank got blown up in the media and angry parents came down on the school demanding an explanation, the staff had no choice but to cover their own asses by denying that they had seen or done anything at all. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense, right? Haunted. That's super haunted. Like, what kind of psycho? Yeah, that's so scary. Staff members are like, let's elaborate. Like, let's do right. this elaborate prank where I dress as an alien, Michael Jackson, yeah. and float like a craft down from the sky with bright lights and a flute noise and electrical humming Mm -hmm. sounds and then I stare at them with like insect eyes and whisper to them things about the environment and then I fucking leave it could also be like a popularity thing right like someone's like oh I saw it and then someone's like yeah I saw it too and they're like yeah um I saw it and they're like really what did it look like and it's like oh it had bright lights and da 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 and then someone else like parrots that back and then before you know it like if you didn't see it then you're not cool so you're never right. going to tell anyone you didn't see it that's a great point and I think kids by their nature are normally people pleasers right so another like aspect to this false memory implantation theory is that like the reason why kids are believing these false memories is in part because a trusted adult is suggesting to them that it happened Mm. and kind of making them feel bad if they don't remember it, right? Right. Like, really, you don't remember that? Take a couple weeks and really think about it and see if next time we meet, you can remember some of it. You know, like that's going to make them have a lot of self-doubt and be like, well, I don't want to return to this adult and like not remember this thing that seems important to them, Right. right? Yeah, especially they're like a cool reporter lady, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I'm so important. All these, like, they're interested in what I'm drawing. And I'm like, you know, this really cool person. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to theory number three. Theory number three, a psyop. Do you know what a psyop is? Is it a monster with one eye? That's a cyclops, but that's (laughs) a great, great hypothesis. Psyop. 
P-S-Y. P-S-Y-O-P. This is like a psychological operation. You got it. Bing, bang, boom. According to Wikipedia, a psyop or psychological operation is an operation usually employed by a government or military to convey selected information and indicators to audiences to influence their emotions, motives, and objective reasoning, and ultimately the behavior of governments, organizations, groups, and individuals. Are there like actual... Um, confirmed cases of that? Yeah, there's actually a ton of them. So we talked a little bit about this concept in our Vietnam War episode from 2020, where we discussed Operation Wandering Soul, which was a psychological tactic used by U.S. military to encourage Viet Cong forces to abandon their fight by weakening their morale and preying on religious and cultural beliefs in the region. Oh, so this is like a psychological warfare, essentially. Yes. If you're interested in learning more about this operation, definitely go listen to episode 35 of Let's Get Haunted once you're done with this episode, because there's no time to explain all the haunted shit that happened during the Vietnam War. But as far as the concept of PSYOP goes, there's actually a lot of different kinds of PSYOP, and not all are considered bad. So some can be used to end wars, to promote peace, to improve relations between nations, and even to prevent future terrorism. Others can be used to sway the public to overthrow their governments or push societal changes, whether negative or positive. Other psyops are more murky and hostile in nature. Examples of psyops throughout history include American soldiers dropping thousands of Ace of Spades playing cards on villages throughout Vietnam during the Vietnam War due to a rumor that the Ace of Spades was thought to be a harbinger of death in Vietnamese belief systems. Soldiers burning the bodies of Taliban fighters during the Afghanistan War, despite cremation being against Islamic customs. The mass broadcast of the toppling of Saddam Hussein's statue in central Baghdad in 2003. And this one's kind of a fun one. Allied forces in World War I building fake army tanks from wood and cardboard to make their troops seem more expansive and powerful to German forces. Mm. So like kind of a Trojan like horse yeah, theory, Trojan right? Horse. Yeah. So, but not every PSYOP needs to occur in the face of war or evil government interests. PSYOPs can also be used simply to influence large swaths of people to make positive changes. And some argue that this is exactly what happened during the aerial school incident. Remember that nearly all of the students reported that the extraterrestrial beings spoke to them telepathically, relaying the same message. Don't get too technologied. Right, that we are, that we humans are destroying our planet and need to be mindful of the technology we have developed and the way in which we use it. This certainly seems like a message that a government or military organization may want to disseminate throughout a country, right? Mm -hmm. But in order to be a PSYOP, there needs to be a reason or purpose or goal behind the operation. It's almost like inception, right? They're right. incepting this idea into your mind to get a certain outcome. Right. So it doesn't really work if it's just some message or incident with no deeper psychological impact. So it, it could essentially, okay, so it could be like someone with like, um, who wants us to use solar power is like, hey guys, gas is really bad. Like don't use it. Yeah, yeah. Or like, okay, let's say, let's make it like stupider. Like let's say there's um, 
a company that sells solar panels. Mm -hmm. So what do they do? They run a bunch of news stories saying that like, if you don't have solar, you're a bitch, Mm -hmm. right? So then psychologically, the public's like, oh shit, I don't want to be a bitch. I better get fucking solar panels on my house. That could be a psyop. So let's just pretend like we agree this is a psyop and then work backwards from that hypothesis to figure out why someone would have cared enough to do this. Okay. So the aerial school incident occurred, like we said, on September 16th, 1994 in Zimbabwe. I've seen a lot of talk on Reddit and YouTube videos claiming that the message of humans destroying their planet and needing to be more careful about technology was directed towards nuclear weapons. But this doesn't really make sense. First of all, Zimbabwe does not have nuclear weapons. Not today, and certainly not in the 1990s. So if a government psyop, or like you said, if an alien race wanted to do a psyop, and they're trying to send a message about nuclear warfare in the 1990s, then they wouldn't have gone to Zimbabwe, right? They would have gone to the US or Russia or some other place that was fucking shit up with nuclear weapons. Yeah. So targeting Zimbabwe with this message would make no sense. However, there was some interesting stuff happening in Zimbabwe in the 80s and 90s. For example, here's some highlights. On April 17, 1980, Zimbabwe declared its independence from the United Kingdom. And Kanan Banana becomes the first president of Zimbabwe the following day. On April 17, 1982, Banana's government accuses the leader and founder of the Zimbabwe African People's Union of plotting to overthrow the government. From 1982 to 1987, a mass murder genocide was carried out when two political factions began fighting each other, resulting in the deaths of anywhere between 8,000 and 30,000 Zimbabweans, depending on which source you believe. Innocent citizens throughout the country were murdered by being tortured and then executed, burned alive in their homes, and or made to dig their own graves before being shot in the head. And this included men, women, and children that were all killed in this manner. Oh my God. So that's super fucked up, obviously. There was a genocide occurring during this time. Now, in November of 1992, there was a cholera epidemic that broke out in one of the largest refugee camps in Zimbabwe. So among the people who survived this terrible war, now they're ravaged by a cholera outbreak. And in June 1993, the government announced plans to downsize the 50,000-strong Zimbabwe National Army by 10,000 men over the next five years. The combined Zimbabwe Defense Forces headquarters was formed in July of 1994. And in April of 1995, parliamentary elections were held in the country. In October 1996... Zimbabwe sent delegates to Canada to discuss landmines and launched the Ottawa Treaty, which banned the use of landmines. This treaty was ratified in 1998, and in 1999, landmine cleanup operations were launched throughout Zimbabwe. Okay, so now things kind of start to become clearer if we believe the PSYOP theory, because this theory proposes that the aerial school alien incident was actually a PSYOP by the Zimbabwean government to create a story warning of the need to re-examine the use of man-made technology that would spread like wildfire and encourage its citizens to support future efforts to maintain peace, scale down the military, and clean up dangerous weapons in the area. Okay, I could get on board with that. At first I was like, why would they come to children? But it actually makes sense because look how the children reacted. It was perfect. It's like if if a bunch of adults were like, oh, these aliens came and told me this, we'd be less likely to believe them. Right. We would rid- ridicule them. You know, whatever. We're just less likely to believe 
adults for some reason right. and maybe that's they fucked have ulterior up. motives right but a child we think of a child as like being so pure right that if it's if 62 kids are saying this happened it's a lot more interesting and now this psyop can really take hold in the culture and society and it even spread internationally and so it made a lot of Zimbabweans look at this story and say wow there must be some truth to this mm -hmm. and then right after this story comes out suddenly the Zimbabwean government is scaling down the military suddenly they start um, you know signing treaties saying they're not going to develop nuclear weapons now they're making these efforts to clean up um, landmines that were just ravaging innocent people right. who were stepping on them. So it could then be argued that this was a super successful psyop because we were told by aliens that our human man-made technology is fucking our shit up and we listened, right? Right. Theory number four, Tico Loches. Have you ever heard of a Tico Loche? No. Is that an English word? It is not. According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, Atika Loche is a mischievous spirit in Southern African folklore, taking the form of a short little man <gasps> living in the water and being friendly to children. What? They said he was short. Although Merriam-Webster makes this cryptid or mythical being sound friendly, Wikipedia's entry for Atika Loche makes it sound anything but friendly. Quote, in Zulu mythology and Bantu folklore, Atika Loche is a dwarf-like water sprite. It is considered a mischievous and evil spirit that can become invisible by drinking water or swallowing a stone. Remember how it was disappearing and reappearing, the kids yeah. said? Tika Loches are called upon by malevolent people to cause trouble for others. At its least harmful, a tika loche can be used to scare children, but its power extends to causing illness or even death. The creature might be banished by a pastor who has the power to expel it from the area. According to UFO researcher Cynthia Hind, who visited aerial school the day after the incident and interviewed the children, asking them to draw pictures of what they had seen for her, Quote, the different cultural backgrounds of the children gave rise to different interpretations of what they had seen, and they did not all believe they had seen extraterrestrials. Some of the African students noted that some of the children thought the short little beings were Tikaloches. <gasps> so not every student had the exposure to aliens to be like, that was an alien, that was a UFO. A lot of the kids that had more traditional folkloric upbringings and had heard these stories throughout their childhood actually thought they were Tika Loches. So Natalia, I'm going to show you some pictures of a Tika Loche, and I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. It might be Tika Loche or Tika Loche. Tika Loche sounds like a leprechaun that's named Tika Loche. Well, yeah, fuck that. No, if that's really what it looks like, fuck that thing. That is horrifying looking. This basically is a gremlin with like sharp teeth. And it looks like if Dobby was like evil and it's got like broken fingers and stuff. It's fucked up looking. It's, Where yeah, what it's the not kids good. yeah, what the kids were drawing doesn't look that fucked up. Right. Yeah, this looks pretty fucked. But the idea that some of the kids thought it was a Tikaloche at first glance might explain some of the discrepancy in drawings as well, because maybe some of them are like, oh, that has to be a Tikaloche. So they're maybe they're drawing the ones, it a little differently. Maybe the ones that thought it was a Tikaloche are the ones that ran away. They're like, I'm not fucking staying to find out. Right? Who knows, right? Theory number five, aliens. The most popular theory still today is that the aerial school incident is a bona fide extraterrestrial encounter. 
According to Wikipedia in a June 2021 episode of the BBC's Witness History, the event was described as one of the most significant events in UFO history, and ufologists continue to cite the case as providing compelling evidence of extraterrestrials' visits to Earth. Further adding fuel to the fire, on May 23rd of last year, Luis Lou Elizondo did a live stream interview with the Moskowitz podcast regarding his opinions on various UFO events throughout history. Natalia, do you know who Lou Elizondo is? Of course not. (laughs) According to his bio on history.com, Lou is the former director of the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program known as ATIP in the United States, the secretive Pentagon unit that studied UFOs. As a senior counterintelligence officer for the Department of Defense, he operated throughout Afghanistan, the Middle East, and Latin America. He's a trained special agent who has led countless tactical and strategical missions both during wartime and times of peace. He also conducted sensitive source operations against some of America's toughest adversaries. So basically, remember how disclosure was happening in 2020 and the government released those videos and they were like, look, you know, here's some videos of of actual UFOs. The Marine, like, or or no, the Navy um, pilots, like, seeing Right, the Air Force and different facets of U.S. military. So they decided to call those UAPs because there's a stigma around UFO, right? So it's just unidentified aerial phenomenon. And they formed this division of the Pentagon called ATIP. And ATIP's job was to look at all of these UAPs, all these videos, and all of these accounts. And Lou was the head of ATIP. Okay. Okay. So during this interview that he gave, which can be found on the YouTube channel Moskowitz, the host asks Lou if he ever looked into the aerial school incident in his capacity as a government employee. Lou, who was famous for giving cryptic answers due to the supposedly ironclad NDAs the government made him sign during his time with ATIP, answers the host with a question of his own, saying, This is what I'll say about that. Do you know what was close to that school? A uranium mine. While Lou refuses to elaborate on what exactly this means, it is heavily implied that extraterrestrials are interested in humankind's use of anything radioactive or nuclear, including the naturally occurring element of uranium, which is mined in Zimbabwe. According to EPA.gov, it is now primarily used as fuel for nuclear reactors that make electricity. And the practice of uranium mining is known to be harmful to the environment and cause radioactive waste. That could also be a point towards the PSYOP, though. You're right. It totally could be. That's a great point. Yeah. Especially because he works for the government. So he's just like, well, do you know it was there? Right. Uranium mines and just leaves it at that. Okay. But now it gets a little bit fucking weirder. We're still in the alien theory here. Do you remember our Randonautica episode where we interviewed former CIA guest scientist Dean Radin on his work studying remote viewing with the U.S. government? Of course. Okay. There's no time to explain. Listen to episode 41 if you don't know what we're talking about. But during Project Stargate, Zimbabwe randomly comes up in some of the U.S. government's documents. For those who don't know, Project Stargate was a secret U.S. Army unit established in 1978 and operating well into the 90s by the Defense Intelligence Agency to investigate the potential for psychic phenomena in military and domestic intelligence applications. 
In this unit, individuals claiming to have psychic abilities, including remote viewing, were tested on their abilities in a scientific setting. Remote viewing is the ability of an individual to send their quote-unquote psychic eye to another location and report back to others what is going on at that location. In the example Dean Radin gave us in episode 41, he observed an individual sitting alone in a room. A scientist wrote down a code word on a piece of paper and placed it in a safe in a different room. The individual being tested was then asked to remotely view the piece of paper in the safe using their psychic eye it said Zimbabwe. and report back the code word to observers. When Project Stargate files were eventually declassified, it was revealed that one of the most successful of these remote viewers was a man named Pat Price. According to the book Unearthly Disclosures by Timothy Good, Pat Price successfully remote viewed four extraterrestrial bases stationed on Earth, each one underneath a different mountain. Here are the locations of those alleged bases. One is underneath Mount Ziel in Australia. One is underneath Mount Perdido in Spain. One is underneath Mount Hayes in Alaska. And the last is underneath Mount Inyangani in Zimbabwe. According to Google Maps, Mount Inyangani is less than a three-hour drive from Ariel Primary School. Natalia, what do you make of all this? <laughs> okay. <laughs> What's going through your head? Um, I don't know so much. Every time you do an episode at the end, I just get so confused because you tell me like a bunch of theories that all make sense and one after the other and then you're you like but which one yeah, yeah and you look at me like what do you think of that and i'm like you're just giving me a bunch of facts like what do yeah, you mean all okay, of these are true yes, yeah yeah so people who don't like this theory i will say chalk it up to just mass hysteria um according to wikipedia two days prior to the incident at ariel there had been a number of ufo sightings throughout southern africa and there had been numerous reports of bright fireballs passing through the night sky but a lot of people said, well, it was a meteor shower. So because the general public was already riled up thinking they'd seen a bunch of UFOs mm. when it was actually a meteor shower, people suggest, well, then the kids would be more susceptible to thinking they were seeing a UFO if like a comet flew by during the day. Right. Right. But I say fuck you to people who believe that. <laughs> okay. Last final theory, the vile vortices. Natalia, have you ever heard of the vile vortices? No, but I know what a vortice is. It's a vo it's a plural of vortex, right? You got it. Yes, correct. So according to Wikipedia, vile vortices are supposed to be anomalic regions regularly distributed on Earth where disproportionately many strange phenomena occur, such as disappearances, UFO sightings, or poltergeist activity. The term was first coined in 1968 by Ivan Terence Sanderson, a British biologist and writer who was actually a founding father of cryptozoology. So we can thank Sanderson for all of our amazing cryptid episodes we've done throughout the years. Wow. The idea of vile vortices is a popular concept spread following his 1972 article entitled The Twelve Devil's Graveyards Around the World. The first vile vortex identified by Sanderson is the Bermuda Triangle, and the second is the Devil's Sea. Most people are probably familiar with the Bermuda Triangle, 
But in case you aren't, it's an approximate triangle-shaped area located between Bermuda, the tip of Florida, and Puerto Rico. The Devil's Sea is located near the Japanese coast in the Pacific Ocean. Since Sanderson first proposed the idea of vile vortices, 10 have been identified around the world, bringing us up to a total of 12. So Natalia, I'd like you to look at this map of the 12 vile vortices and see if you notice anything interesting as it relates to today's story. Is one, um, oh yeah, one's in Zimbabwe. Yeah, so there are 10, on this map there's 10. Um, oh, this is weird. They're like all like literally spaced perfectly apart. I know. Isn't that crazy? So I'll post this to at Let's Get Haunted so you guys can look at it yourselves. But just as Natalia said, there's 10 evenly distributed blue points on this map. And you may be saying 10. I thought you said there's 12. Well, I'm going to tell you what the 12 vortices, vortices are. One, the Bermuda Triangle. Two, the Mohenjo-Daro. Three, the Devil's Sea. Four, Hamakulia. Five, the megalithic ruins of Algeria. Six, the South Atlantic anomaly. Seven, Wharton Basin. Eight, Hebrides Trench. Nine, the Easter Islands. Ten, the North Pole. Eleven, the South Pole. And twelve, the megaliths of Zimbabwe. Proponents of this theory state that the aerial school incident may not necessarily be aliens and extraterrestrials, but might just be a product of strange electromagnetic signals that naturally occur at this location. So, Natalia, that was episode 103, Aerial School Aliens, and I'm very interested to hear what your theories are and what your thoughts are. Okay. I am going to go ahead and give you my hot take, all right? Okay, do so it. So buckle up, everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that these extraterrestrials said in some capacity, oh, the world is going to end if you don't stop getting uh, polluting to some extent. That's basically what they were all saying is like yeah. protect your environment. Otherwise, the world's going to end. OK, mm-hmm. it either makes me think that this was a psyop operation or it came from a human mind in some way. Or perhaps the aliens are um, ego driven animals. What if the aliens are us millennia in the future? Yeah, we've I'm, just evolved to look like that. And they come back to this point in history because they don't want our world to end. Right. Yeah, yeah. that's what I mean. That's why I think it's like from a human. Right? Oh, I see it's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Thing. We need you to do something for us so that we can benefit. Right. Right. Where if this was um, if the aliens had said anything else, you know, like I don't think I would have the same con- kind of conclusion. However, that's my hot take on it. And um, yeah. So do you think it's a PSYOP or do you think it's an alien? I think it's a PSYOP from an alien. That makes sense. Yeah. Like they're incepting our culture so that, you know, how many fucking 30 years later, we're still talking about this and we're like, wow, maybe we shouldn't have nuclear weapons. Like, wow, maybe we should take a little bit better care of the environment like it was a successful psyop if that's what it was right or or what if it was a psyop from just whatever civilization has taken over earth so they're like hey in that timeline 
the people of Zimbabwe would have taken over Earth and and oh shit like, oh no no we have to go back and tell them that they have to like keep living small otherwise we won't be able to like take over. That's an interesting conspiracy theory because Zimbabwe, as we learned, used to be the jewel of Africa was right. its nickname. It has the potential mm-hmm. to be like a world superpower, right? Like it's pretty, it's bigger than Britain, three yeah. times bigger. Its timeline got fucked by a bunch of wars and colonization, but it has the potential. Yeah. Great episode. Thank you. And I want to give a special shout out to user Josh Taco on r slash UFOs who compiled a comprehensive list of 38 drawn pictures, eight video interviews, six map references, and a Reddit AMA from students who were at the 1994 Aerial School UFO incident. I will be linking this resource in our show notes today because he really did like a fucking awesome job and for no reason. Like, mm-hmm. I love people like that. that they, They're just super interested in something and they're sharing the wealth, um, sharing the knowledge. So I'm going to link that in the show notes along with the rest of my sources. And stay tuned after this awesome LGH remix done by branyards in r slash let's get haunted because at the end of the remix i'm going to say out loud all of my sources for this episode natalia would you like to do our sign off today brb about to go to victoria falls and warn all of the fish that the fucking the world as they know it is about to end if they don't quit being so technologied and following that river off the waterfall (laughs) Bye. Bye. Today's episode utilized the following sources. First and foremost, we have to give a big shout out to Wikipedia as always. Next, we have history.com, ncbi.nlm.nhi.gov, an article entitled Episodes of Mass Hysteria in African Schools, a Study of Literature by Demobly Kokoda. Next, we have The Day the Aliens Landed, published to sundaymail.co.zw, written by Tendai Chara. Next, we have Film Takes Closer Look at African UFO Sightings, published to bostonherald.com, written by Benjamin Bell. Next, we have Negative False Memories Are More Easily Implanted in Children's Minds Than Neutral Ones, for digest.bps.org.uk, written by Christian Jarrett. Next, we have the book Unearthly Disclosure by Timothy Good, available on Google Books for $9.99. Next, we have a UFO video entitled Zimbabwe UFO Child Contactee Speaks Publicly for the First Time, published to the YouTube channel Earth Mystery News-EMN. Next, we have the YouTube video entitled Aerial School Encounter Witness Selma Siddick and Filmmaker Randall Nickerson, 101817, uploaded to the YouTube channel Martin Willis Live Shows. And finally, we have an article entitled The 1994 Rua Zimbabwe Alien Encounter by Brian Dunning for Skeptoid.com. Thanks for tuning in.